Welcome back to this week's episode of the Seatown Podcast, where Seattle business owners, entrepreneurs, and community leaders are invited on to share their stories with us. Uh, well, today I'm joined by Chris Smith, uh, the owner of Lowercase Brewing. Thank you for joining me today, Chris. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, so I'm familiar with, with Lowercase just because you guys make the, the copper, copper ale, uh, whatever you guys call it. It's very yep, tasty. For sure. Um, you know, they serve it at... Uh, uh, Coastline Burgers, which is one of my favorite local burger places, so that's how I heard about it. Yeah. Uh, then I reached out to you, see if you wanted to be on the podcast. Maybe you could uh, tell us a little bit more about Lowercase Brewing, what you guys do, how long you've been around, a little bit about your, your sure. backstory. Yeah. So uh, Lowercase Brewing has been around since January 2014, or that's when we officially opened. Probably working on it a year or a year and a half before that. Uh, we are a really small brewery out of South Park. Uh, so South Park is not a very well-known neighborhood in Seattle, but uh, right next to Georgetown mm-hmm. is how we anchor it. And yeah, we've been producing beer for the last two and a half years, just uh, scaled our production. So we went from making about 100 gallons at a time to making about 500 gallons at a time. And then as well, uh, we just opened up a brand new tap room um, over in Georgetown. Oh, nice. So our brewery productions is still located in South Park and our uh, retail operations, as far as sales go, uh, is located at Georgetown. Okay. Yeah. Nice. And how did you get in? I assume your broom beer before that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, um, I am not a native to Washington State. I'm actually from Arizona. And uh, when I when I moved up to Washington, uh, almost ten years ago now, um, I knew that I had to uh, assimilate into the into the into the culture. So I was sure. like, you know what what a, what a Washington dudes do? And I was like, well they. They learn how to sail and they, they make beer. <laughs> so I was like, if I can learn how to sail and make beer, then I'll fit right in. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, I, uh, I was working uh, at Starbucks Coffee Company uh, for the time and uh, got on a boat and started crewing for the summertime just to learn how to sail. And then um, through that, oddly enough, um, I met a gentleman who bought me my first brewing book ever. Uh, we did, a, we did a, a brewing session at his house and, and it just kind of went from there. So it started as a hobby and then turned into a kind of a, like a real niche business model okay. um, and then scaled up into an actual real business after that. Okay. Yeah. What was that transition like from a uh, home brewer to an actual business making money? Uh, pretty seamless actually. I mean, it was just, it was kind of like uh, a little bit of step change, you know? So you, you just start at one thing and I, I looking back on it, it, it all lines up, but at the time it really doesn't seem like so, right? Sure. Um, and, and really, it's just a, it was a process of scale, right? I mean, I started making five-gallon batches of beer, mm-hmm. and now we're making 500-gallon batches of beer. Sure. And it's, it's really very, very similar from the hobby scale to the, uh, to the professional scale. Okay. And there's a, quite a lot of overlap. There's not, you know, there's some industries where uh, the hobby and the professional, uh, you know, division of whatever it is are, are pretty divergent. Right. And that one doesn't beget the other one. This one... They go hand in hand. Okay, just so, a matter of scalability. Huh? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Just a matter of uh, of convincing people to give you money, um, coming up with good ideas, and, and then executing against them. Okay. Uh, what what part of Arizona you're from? Uh, so grew up in. Uh, I was born in Tucson. Okay. Uh, but then grew up in Tempe, which is a suburb of Phoenix. Okay. So where Arizona State is. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I spent three months down Arizona this beginning of the year. Nice. So yeah. A little, little south of Tucson. So. Okay. Cool. Yeah, it's beautiful. Desert. The desert is beautiful in its own way. Yeah. You know, it has nothing on uh, Washington, uh, Washington State, but it's uh, 
I guess the more I've been away, the more I can appreciate uh, kind of the beauty of the desert in its own right. Yeah, it's got some beauty. I mean, the canyons and hiking and stuff that you won't find here totally different. Yeah, Yeah, just way different, like trees and water and stuff that (laughs) they don't have. Yeah, cactus. Yeah. Um, What, I guess, what brought you up to to Washington? Yeah, so it was my job for Starbucks. Okay. So at the time I was designing uh, training uh, for... uh, well, I was, I was working as a barista, okay. uh, but I have my master's degree in education. So uh, specifically in curriculum development. Uh, so I was moved up to uh, Seattle to work for Starbucks to design training um, around uh, around their coffee programs. Okay. So owning your own, your own brewery, what, uh, what do you love most about, about your business? Um, I am a uh, non-creature of habit. While I have my habits, I also prefer a lot of variability in my day. Mm -hmm. So I think to me, one of the great things about owning your own business is you get to wear a lot of hats. Uh, It's also one of the drawbacks as well. Sure. So Double-edged sword. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But uh, I like the fact that one day I could be brewing beer, the next day I could be you know, out selling beer, Uh, the third day I could be kind of working on our staffing plan for our new tap room. It just, it presents a, a wide range of skills and, and, and challenges that I have to adapt to. Uh, okay. and that's, that's pretty fun and interesting. Sure. Um, as far as your guys' visibility and business and stuff, I mean, obviously having a tap room, uh, I'd imagine it's, it's pretty great for obviously getting for new, sure. new, uh, new drinkers, new clients, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, with the, with the competitive nature of the Washington beer scene, um, I think uh, tap rooms historically have just been thought of as uh, secondary to the business model. Um, the, the, the primary business model of the brewing industry being that of wholesale yeah. and, uh, and of third-party sales. And I think it's, that's starting to change a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, Washington State has done a really good job of making the, the marketplace accessible to smaller businesses, which you know, historically is not the case. Right. Um, and, uh, and so it's allowing um, a lot of diversity of people who operate. But I think the, the mindset's changing around the value that tap rooms provide. Mm-hmm. Uh, because before it was just kind of ancillary as this is something I have to do, but now it's something that is actually defining and a, a huge revenue driver. Sure. Um, how, how long has the tap room been open? Um, about 17 days now. Okay. So yeah, we opened new. November okay. 11th. Okay. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask, you know, what's the, kind of the the, uh, the income difference between, you know, wholesaling and For what sure. the tap room brings in, but uh, yeah. it might be a little too early to Massive. <laughs> no, no, the answer is massive. So uh, just to put it in perspective, you can sell um, a half barrel, which is a big keg, okay. to a distributor for around 100 bucks. I can sell it to a restaurant for around 150 or I can sell it myself for about 700 Okay. So that kind of answers the question. Okay. Now, of course, the latter needs, you know, investment sure. and More real estate and, and yeah. staff and all that stuff. But sure. the margins on beer are fantastic. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I didn't really know what the, the economy was there for. For sure. Yeah. Okay. So if you can find the right, if you can find the right uh, real estate solution and the right staffing model, okay. uh, it could be a very profitable section of the business. Okay. Great, that's, that's interesting. Uh, when you first you know, opened the doors, well, I guess not open the doors. When you first started uh, Lowercase, what was the most challenging aspect of, of that? Um, I mean, I think probably initially was uh, capitalization, I guess, to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Like we, um, we, had, we had 
successfully gone and raised capital, but based on some pretty incorrect assumptions of my own around what was possible as far as what we could find in the real estate market. Okay. So the original concept of the brewery was not that of really a public facing tap room per se, mm-hmm. um, but more of a like growler to go program. Okay. And uh, so I was going to have a little one barrel system, which produces 30 gallons of beer. And we were just going to um, have a little shop that was staffed by me mm-hmm. open after regular work hours and you could come sure. in you could bring an empty growler and get a new one filled uh-huh. and that was pretty much going to be the extent of it and it okay. was more of a, a, a feasibility or a, a proof of concept model than anything else and uh, it, it grew from there because of necessity okay. uh, so we actually had to go back to the drawing board uh, I remember specifically being my business partner and I had raised 55 odd thousand dollars and we were sitting in his in his office one day and we had $55,000 for a $120,000 problem um, and didn't really know what to do. Okay. We're like, well, what do we do now? <laughs> and, and, you know, eventually the answer came, but it, it, was, it was not easy and took some, took some noodling. But it's, it's interesting to see if you, if you think back to what your original concept and model was mm-hmm. to kind of how it evolves over time. Um, it's really kind of a fascinating journey. Sure. So did that original proof of concept prove uh, successful? And you guys grew out of necessity or it wasn't really working and you changed direction? I mean, I, yes and no. So a lot of the elements we were able to bring into kind of the, the next generation business model, I guess you could say, we never opened up our growler shop, Okay. right? We uh, couldn't find the realities of the marketplace was that there was no piece of real estate that was the size and the need of what we wanted to. We're getting priced out on either square footage because it was in a retail spot, yeah. or we we're getting priced out on size because it was in an industrial spot, but wasn't small. Yeah. Right. So we were kind of in between. We were kind of in between a rock and a hard place as far as what we were looking for. Okay. So we actually had to change the business model um, into uh, what we ended up opening with, which was a three-barrel system um, with a tiny, tiny tap room. It was about 325 square feet okay. and set about. 18 people <laughs> yeah okay. yeah so what would you say your greatest challenges that you face in business right now um i would say it's it's all it's all the same right it's just the uh the amount of check boxes <laughs> that are required to operate in today's climate uh-huh. um is is really really challenging yeah. uh just because there's you know in in such a highly regulated industry such as alcohol uh-huh. Um, there's a lot of people that want to make sure you're following the rules and doing the right thing. Okay. And, uh, and I can appreciate that. Uh, but at the same time, if you step back and look at it from a macro perspective, mm-hmm. the amount of steps required to create a business today is insane. Sure. Right. And it's nobody's fault, right? It's no one, no one set out and said, you know what? We want to make starting a business extremely challenging. It was, it was one regulation at a time and sure. one organization at a time right. and all of a sudden we get to this place where it's it's not impossible but it's it requires a fair amount of organization yeah. um, and fortitude to just be able to get through that process alone let alone make money right right just just to be able to actually open your doors um, is, is a pretty good accomplishment yeah 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 that's uh interesting you say that because that's kind of a, a theme that i've gotten with a lot of yeah. the businesses i've i've interviewed is that it, it the 
the business climate is not friendly towards small businesses or starting, you know, or opening your doors. Yeah. Just the layers of bureaucracy and, yeah. you know, you got to do this with this government agency and that thing and then they, they charge you for this and that and the paperwork. For sure. It's yeah, yeah, kind, of, I kind of ridiculous. I would guess I wouldn't classify it as not friendly, okay. but I would just say it's, uh, it's ominous, right? Okay. It's just, there's, there's, it's, it's a thick forest sure. and there's lots of trees. Sure. Um, and it's not and, like a number you can call and be like, hey, yeah. walk me through this process. Like, and there is, and they'll charge you 50 grand, sure. right? And they're called consultants. Yeah. If you so, had that money, you wouldn't, you know. <laughs> For sure, yeah. So I think it's just, it's more about um, being able to be scrappy, right? I think, um, you know, it's, it's, it's understanding what exactly it is that you need, um, understanding what you don't need, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then being able to look at things in a phased approach and say, you know, okay, what are we going to do today to generate the dollars that we need for tomorrow right. that's going to get us this thing that we want, right? Like we're, we're still far from, even though we just uh, produced, you know, just um, increased our production by a factor of five and opened a brand new like 1,200 foot tasting room, mm-hmm. we're still far from where we want to be, right? And that's just how it is. So yeah. it's, it's, it's a matter of being able to kind of take things in chunks um, and try not to boil the ocean. So I guess, you know, my, my advice to any would-be business owners is, is if you take a look, if you take a step back and look at what you're trying to accomplish from a macro perspective, it's going to be overwhelming. So you just take it one day at a time, sure. one step at a time, one box at a time, and you'll get there. Right. But um, it's, it, takes, it, takes, it takes quite a bit of work. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So in an uh, environment like Seattle where, you know, there's, you can't sw- swing a dead cat without hitting a microbrewery. For sure. Um, what would you say that lowercase brewing is known for? What sets you apart from, from other brewers in the area? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I think we're still trying to define that. But um, really, we're kind of about simplicity and, um, and just good, simple beer. Okay. Uh, I think that there is a, um, we have over-indexed in IPAs of late. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's just a Pacific Northwest thing, sure. right? And IPAs are delicious, and I drink IPAs all the time. But there's a lot of other beers other than IPAs, right? right? So at Lowercase, we try, to, we try to just make good, solid beers that were, if you get a tasting tray, I want every beer to shine and be an awesome example of that style. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we don't brew 300 beers a year, we brew seven, sure. right? And, uh, and we make sure that those seven are awesome. Okay. Um, actually, it's nine or maybe 10, but is that, is that kind of like nine different types of beer? Or do yeah, you nine different overlap? styles. Okay, so yeah, so styles um, cross type sometimes. So like a lager would be a type, okay. an ale would be a type. The majority of them are ales. We do a couple of lagers, um, but I would say nine different styles of beer. Okay. And we try to appeal to every beer drinker, right? So knowing that people like hoppy beers, some people like dark beers, some mm-hmm. people like malty beers. So we tried to we tried to build a menu that was a little bit all encompassing. Okay. Uh, that that would allow a lot of different drinkers the ability to find something that they really liked. Okay. Um, so let's say I wasn't from the Northwest and I didn't know a lot about beers. Yeah. What what would like beer one hundred and one be as far as the, the the types and characteristics of of uh, maybe use your your nine. Style, yeah, so for sure. Example. So I would say like the, the one that most people will have an asso- a prior association with is going to be a lager, mm-hmm. right? And there's not a lot of craft lagers being made. You're starting to see them pop up more. 
But uh, one of the reasons is because they their um, production timeline is triple that of an ale. Really? Yeah. And, and what, so why and is that just? It just has to do with yeah the fermentation time and then the, the conditioning time. Okay. Um, the lager yeast works at cooler temperatures for longer periods of time. Gotcha. And then that beer takes longer to mature. So um, so I, I can make an ale. I can turn a tank. Uh, that's how we talk about it in the industry is uh, everything's about uh, in, in a production space like a brewery everything's about where does your where does your production flow get choked what's that what's that throttle point sure um, and in a, in a lot of breweries it's fermentation capacity so I only have enough space or enough money to buy X number of fermentation tanks so once I fill those all up it's how quickly can I drain that one to fill it up again sure so if I can fill it up and drain it in 10 days or if I can fill it up and drain it in 30 makes a huge difference, especially when you're small. So to kind of pivot back to your question, um, you know, most people's association with beer, especially early on, is kind of the beer that their parents drank, Mm -hmm. uh, which unfortunately is a lot of like macro lagers. And uh, so that's usually where if someone comes in and they're brand new, totally green to beer, Mm -hmm. we'll start them there because it's familiar, right? It's something that you can be like, okay, this is kind of like that thing that you're familiar with. And, there, and then we pivot into pale ales, which can then introduce a little more hop complexity mm-hmm. and then kind of go down the path from there. And then if, if someone wants to kind of veer off into the sweeter side, you take them to the darker beers. Someone wants to uh, veer off into the hoppier side, then you take them over into the IPA. So you just, you, you kind of start at the beginning and then the kind of people will naturally branch out sure. on where they want to go. Sure, as they discover what they like. And- exactly. Okay, um, so so getting into uh, a little bit more about you specifically, what would you say the first ninety minutes of each each day looks like for you? Um, coffee. Coffee. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, it's funny is I used to not drink coffee at all, uh-huh. um, and uh, and then I started working for Starbucks, and uh, and you can obviously feel how you want to about Starbucks, but they've done amazing things for the coffee industry at sure. large, right? Um, and uh, and so now I've I've totally become not, I wouldn't say dependent, right? I don't drink coffee the first thing uh, in the morning when I wake up, but I'm definitely sometimes thinking about how I'm going to enjoy my coffee the night before I go to bed. I get excited about it. <laughs> it's kind of nerdy, but yeah. but that's just me. So I think usually the, the first 90 minutes of my day is spent just kind of putting together a game plan for the day. Okay. Um, because like I said before, you know, one of the, one of the benefits is being able to have a highly variable day right. and do a lot of d- different um, and interesting tasks. Also, the challenge. So you got to kind of put together a plan and be like, okay, I'm going to spend the first half of my day doing this, right. and then I'm going to go to this, and then inevitably leaving. I mean, I would say probably 50% of my day is planned, probably even less than that, maybe more like 25%, and then the rest just kind of happens. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, it's pretty pretty typical in small business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got you got to be you got to be nimble. There's yeah. no doubt about it. Uh, what would you say your greatest strength is? Um, I would say, uh, I I guess tenacity. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, not willing to give up. Um, I I had a really uh, I I met this guy. If you don't know James um, from. Uh, he is uh, he is one of the partners in Wood Woodshop Barbecue, Hello Falafel, um, and Bread and Circuses. Super enthusiastic, awesome business guy. He and I cut from the same cloth. 
Um, if you haven't talked to him, I'd highly recommend okay. that you do. Um, but anyways, he, he and I were having a great conversation and he's like, you know, I might not be the smartest um, and I might not be the most talented, but it's like, I'll tell you what, I'll outwork them all. I'll hustle. And, uh, and there's, there's some truth to that, right? Sure. Um, now it's just not about that one thing, right? I think one of the things that frustrates me about when people talk about success is that it's this one dimensional item about how hard you're willing to work. And it's, it's absolutely about how hard you're willing to work, but it's also about your ability to organize, your ability to tell a story, sure. your ability to access capital, your ability to um, engage other people. So it's, it's so multifaceted um, to say that it's just one thing, I think is, is, uh, is sometimes a fallacy, but I'd say my, my probably, my, my greatest thing is, is my tenacity and then my optimism. Sure. I'm terribly optimistic all the time, probably to a fault. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right about the, uh, the hard work thing. I think it's kind of built into the, you know, American sure. culture, you know, yeah. which, uh, which it's great, you yeah. know, but uh, that by itself, I mean, there's plenty of failed businesses that have really hard workers. Absolutely. Have, you know, like you need more than that, you know. For sure, yeah. yeah. And, and uh, yeah, you know, that that is part of our cultural identity. And yeah. unfortunately, like if you're not successful, it means you didn't work hard. And that's... Sure, that's kind of the, yeah, like you said, one-dimensional cause and effects. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But what's one habit that you wish you had? That I wish I had? Um... I sometimes am not the greatest communicator. I, I think I am, right? It's not a, it's not a, I, I tend to uh, be able to kind of think about an idea, take action on that idea, and sometimes I forget to bring people along. So I would say that would be something that I, I, wish, I, I wish I had more of is that, uh, hey, maybe I should stop and tell someone about this sure. before like taking it all the way there. Right. And like, obviously when you have business partners and investors and things like that, that can kind of be important. Sure. A little critical. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's interesting you say that cause I kind of resonate with some of that cause, uh, yeah. you know, we all like to think, you know, we're good communicators. It usually has to be someone else telling us we're not so much. Right. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, but, and, yeah I, I find that I live inside my head a lot. So I've got all these ideas and then, exactly. you know, I'll go home and tell my wife, yeah, hey, I wrote this book. She's like, you working on a book? Like, yeah. Oh, I didn't tell you? Oh, okay. For sure. Well, I just think it's funny because you have to talk to people and like we have, me and my business partners, we have a weekly meeting mm -hmm. um, and I probably make a thousand decisions a week. Like that's probably less than that. There's probably more than that. Um, and so when we sit down in a meeting and we talk about whatever's going on that week, right? Like I can clue them in on 20 of those conversations or 20 sure. of those kind of key decisions. Uh, but there's no way I could tell them all of them. And so that's, that's where the challenge lies, right? Is like, where's that, where's that balance between right. being able to be autonomous um, and go just off and do things. Right. But then also like making sure that people are with you right. and that they, that they, that they're with your idea and that they, they think it's a good idea <laughs> versus being like, Oh, I wish we would have gone this way instead. Right. Yeah. Uh, what would you say you're passionate about? I love people. I think, uh, I think people are fascinating and, and really like if, if you want to get all existential with it, uh, you know, that, that's kind of the reason why we're all here is to connect and be human and, and interact with each other. So to me, I think those are, that's, that's really what I'm passionate about and, and making sure that like people realize that, um, we're, we're capable of so much. Right. And I think for one reason or another, 
sometimes we're socialized not to believe that. Um, and that really just gets to my core. Yeah. Um, so if there's anything, it's, it's about, it's about people and, and making sure that, you know, everybody feels that they have a whole bunch of potential and can accomplish pretty much anything you want. Yeah. yeah. I think there's a lot of truth in that. I mean, you know, my listeners who, uh, had listened to more than one episode, you know, probably gather them, uh, kind of a Gary Vanderchuk fan. Yeah. And, uh, I love one of his themes he, he's always talking about is, you know, we live in the, a time where, you know, the opportunity to do whatever you want, be whatever you want, create whatever you want, like it's unprecedented. Like, yeah. you know, stop making excuses and get out there, do something sure. like the potential is just huge. Yeah. You know? But uh, I think there's a, there's a flip side to that. Yeah. And, uh, I, I, I love social psychology and I think it's fascinating. Yeah. Um, and it's called the paradox of choice. Um, and I can't remember the author's name, but basically <laughs> it's, it's about how too much choice can actually be debilitating. Yeah. Right. So there's a sweet spot. Right. There's like when you go to the grocery store and there's 12 brands of cereal, you got a, you got a good shot at getting your favorite. Sure. When you go and there's 50, you have a lot less chance of being successful, unfortunately. Right. Um, and so, like, well, I well, I totally agree with you that the mobility of of people in the world is mm-hmm. is unprecedented. It can also be uh, almost a limiting factor in the fact that there is so much potential that you really got to sit down and figure out what it is that you want to do because sure. literally everything is possible, right? right? So when everything is possible and there are no limits, how do you decide which way to go? Sure. So that's, that's, it's just a, it's just a really interesting conundrum, I guess. Right. That's definitely the first, the first step in being successful yeah. is this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Um, you know, Find ignore, a slice. <laughs> ignore the other opportunities, <laughs> yeah. you know, and exactly. take, yeah. find a slice yep. and, and do you right. Yep. And, and you'll, you'll figure it out, right? I think it's, uh, you know, you, you probably talk to a lot of business owners and they're like, oh, yeah, I figured it out, which I think is totally BS. Yeah, I mean, most <laughs> are, are pretty humble and, you know, recognize that, like, you know, it's, it's you know, a combination of hard work and things lining up just right and for opportunities sure. being taken. And, like, yeah. it takes a whole bunch of stuff coming together for a business to not fail. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah that's, right? like, that's like the default state, state is failure. I, I actually think that's probably a good way of looking at it. Like. Yeah. And not to not to uh, discourage anyone, right? But sure. just knowing it's that tough, but it's the great. amount of sacrifice required is epic. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Do you have an example of a, a moment uh, where you know you did kind of make a mistake, but then were able to bounce back and it, and it ended up working out pretty well? Yeah, I mean, I would say um, I would say our, our current tap room is probably a pretty good example of that. Um, I had no business getting into the retail tap room business six months ago. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, and, and just didn't have, I would say retrospectively, I didn't quite understand the scope, I guess. Okay. Like, so I, I had, I had an assumption of what I thought the scope was based on our previous tap room, which wasn't really a tap room at all. It was like a little corner of a production facility that we dedicated to drinking beer. Sure. Um, and then we, we go into this, this giant project, right? Um, and uh, I was like, oh, well, if we did, if we did this small project for this amount of money, we can do this bigger project for this amount of money, right? But I just didn't quite get the scope of what we were tackling. Yeah. Um, and that became very, very clear when we got into the project, right? Mm-hmm. But I guess it goes back to, you know, we had at one point when we were, hadn't even opened the business yet, half of the money that we needed to do what we needed to do, right? Yeah. So it became about, well, how do we how, how do we do it, 
right? This is where we are today. Yeah. So how do we create a path forward? Um, so, I mean, now our, our tap room's open. It's, it's beautiful. It's, uh, it's working and, uh, and it, it's, it's going to be a great success story, mm -hmm. but it was pretty painful to get there just because of the, um, just the size and scale of the operations yeah. um, and not quite really understanding what we were getting ourselves into at the time. Sure. Got new territory. I mean, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, we opened a restaurant <laughs> like, yeah. and, and it's easy to say now, right? But, but when I went to go open a tap room, mm -hmm. a restaurant wasn't what I was planning, sure. right? I was planning a, a little space where you could kick back and, and drink some beers. And, right. and now we have a um, absolutely gorgeous, uh, like, of almost event quality space nice. uh, that we're super proud of, right? Yeah. So you guys serve food as well. As Absolutely, you guys yeah. yeah. So we have a um, we have a local uh, deli, uh, Hitchcock Deli. Okay. Uh, it's helping us with our food, uh, and the sandwiches are delicious. The beer is delicious. The space is beautiful. Yeah, I highly encourage everyone to come check it out. Um, what, so what's the address? Though? It's a uh, sixty-two thirty-five Airport Way South. It's down at the um, south end of Georgetown, yeah. um, uh, by the Miller Paint Store. Yep. Um, and pretty much catty corner of brass tacks. Okay, yeah, I know exactly where it is. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so in this next round, um, or this this next section of the interview, uh, just going to do some quick questions, quick, you know, one, two sentence responses. Uh, you got it. Responses. I'm ready. What is the best advice you've ever received? Um, probably be patient. You know, I can't tell you who told me that, but... These things take time. Business takes time to develop. Mm -hmm. um, ideas take time to mature. Uh, beer takes time to catch on, right? You just, you can't, I, I, think, it, I think it's a, a to, to, to come out of, of the gates swinging and thinking you're gonna hit a home run uh, is, is, is a bad idea. Sure. So I think being patient and just sticking your guns, right? There's just Here's the deal. Like this is this is who I am. This is who I want to be, and not letting the other influence um, change that. Sure. Uh, other than tenacity, what is a personal habit that contributes to your success? I would say my enthusiasm. Okay. I'm pretty enthusiastic about uh, what I got to do, and I, I have a tendency to get other people enthusiastic about it too. It's it's good. It's uh, being the driver of your ship and uh, internal culture. It's it's pretty important. For sure. Yep. Uh, if you could recommend just one book to our listeners, what would it be? Wow. Um, I, I yeah. Um, I I would say anything written by Malcolm Gladwell. That guy's awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and not not because it's going to teach you how to be awesome in business, but just because it it helps you understand people. Uh, and uh, to me, I mean, we talked about it earlier, but social psychology, the, the why people do what they do, to me is just absolutely fascinating. Yeah, I, um, right there with you. So. Yeah, and this guy took the study of economics um, and merged it into the psychology world, and it totally fits because, you know, part of being human or American or people, whatever you want to say, um, is, you know, every day we go out and we do stuff to accomplish things right yeah i know that's super vague do stuff to accomplish things but like there is a there's a motivation behind that right what is that motivation and and what's your motivation versus someone else's motivation and if you can understand that then i think you can connect with that person that much better yeah uh in wrapping up um can you share one piece of parting guidance with the audience 
Sure. Uh, well, probably not, actually. <laughs> uh, I have a tendency to just babble, and I don't know if it actually means anything to anybody else. Um, I would say, like, if especially if it comes to would-be business owners, like, just don't be afraid, right? Like, and, and, uh, and you're going to fail, right? Like, you're going to fail multiple times, but, like, not in big, epic ways, right? You're going to have small failures. You're also going to have small successes. And as long as you can make, you can have more successes than failures, I think you'll do just fine. So it's, it's, it's really what I see a lot of people when they ask me, they're like, well, how do you start the business? And I was like, I just did, mm-hmm. right? And, and sometimes when you, when you have to approach a task that is seemingly um, complex or, or um, overwhelming, right? Again, if you look at it on a macro basis, it looks impossible. Sure. And you literally just start with one step. Sure, just break it down. Yeah. And, it. Yeah, yeah, and just, just one, one step at a time. And you'll be surprised if you just take it one step at a time, how far you can go and then look backwards and be like, holy moly, we accomplished all that stuff. Yeah. Right? So it's just, it's kind of being myopic and just being like, okay, we're just, we're just going to take this one thing at a time um, and, uh, and, and go from there. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. Uh, so what, what's the best way for, for listeners of the podcast to find out more about uh, you and Lowercase Brewing? Yeah, so uh, you know the website. Good uh, good way. Uh, coming and drinking a beer. Okay. That's also an excellent way. Sure. And what, what's the website? Uh, lowercasebrewing.com. Um, and then, yeah, I'm always around in, in, in ways and, and always um, happy and willing to share information. Okay. I, uh, I, I, love, I love just talking and especially if someone wants to buy me coffee or beer i will i will talk until you don't want to hear anymore sure <laughs> especially if they come into your tap room buy you a beer from sure. your tap room. yeah that'd be awesome <laughs> i'm all about it great well thanks for your time today chris it was great hearing about uh, about the brewery and uh, yeah. a bit of the backstory my pleasure man good to be here yep. all right thanks well that wraps up this week's episode of the c-town podcast Make sure to check out our guest's website, support what they're doing, and show them some love. If you liked what you heard on this podcast, let us know by writing us a very nice five-star review on iTunes and subscribing. You can also find out more about me and other projects I'm working on by visiting ctown.com. Today's intro and outro music is courtesy of the Fascination Movement. You can find their albums in the iTunes store. The Seatown podcast creator and host is Christian Harris. This has been a Seatown Media Production. Music.